Let's pray together. God, it is amazing what we make things into. You know, the decisions we've made this past week that had little or no attention to you or to your heart. Things we've done in secret, things we've done openly in front of some of those we claim to love dearly. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your uh, steadfast love and your faithfulness. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you that even as we gather in this time that we can trust that you are here with us and that you will work your wonders to your own glory. Help us to hunger and to thirst for you. For you are the living God, full of love. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. How many times have you gone into a store and had someone say to you, how may I help you? And it could be that when you hear those words that you have a, a, a general request and you respond with something like, uh, where are the kitchen appliances? You don't target in, I really need a, a belt that goes with this dishwasher. You just say, show me the kitchen appliances and I'll figure it out from there. Maybe you're a little more dialed in. Maybe you say, uh, men's shirts, please. Or maybe you're laser focused. When they ask, how may I help you? You go, where are the bathrooms? Maybe you enter into a, a store and they ask, how may I help you? And your answer is simply uh, nothing. I'm just browsing, just looking around. Well, when it comes to life, may I help you find something? When it comes to life, may I help you, may we help each other this morning find something? What is it that you are looking for? Do you have a general idea? Have you dialed it in just a little bit? Are you lasered focused already on what it is that you want? Or are you just browsing, wandering around? We're using this book uh, this fall, The Good and Beautiful God, and I know a number of you are reading uh, through it along with the rest of us. And in the first chapter, uh, the author, James Bryan Smith, he mentions uh, this encounter that Jesus had with two of his, uh, uh, with these two disciples of John. In chapter one of the Gospel of John, we find that uh, John the baptizer is, he says out loud, behold the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples um, hear him and they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns and, uh, and talks to them and, and says, what are you looking for? He asks, what are you looking for? He doesn't ask, what are your names? He doesn't ask, uh, uh, have you accomplished all you need to accomplish? What are you looking for? James Smith points out that this question is an important one because what we truly desire, what we are most passionate about, will determine how we organize our lives. What we truly desire, what we are most passionate about, will determine how we then choose to organize our lives. And so what are you seeking? 
What are you looking for? What do you want? What do we want together? What are we seeking together? One of the things the Bible helps us with is that it tells us what God is seeking. It tells us what, is, uh, what God is pursuing, what he is offering uh, each one of us. We can look at a verse like Galatians 4.19. There's so many other places we could go, but we could land on, on Galatians 4.19, and we find these words, My little children, for who I am again in anguish of childbirth. Birth. This is Paul writing, Until Christ is formed in you, until Christ is formed in you, that the very character of Christ would be formed in us. When we follow this verse up with Romans 8.29, we see this theme developing Paul again writes, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Formed. Christ formed in us that we would be conformed to the image of God's son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, again we read, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Formed, conformed, and transformed. This is God's agenda. This is what God is working on and pursuing. This is what God is offering us. And so, what are we seeking? Well, let's turn our attention to our passage today. And one of the things we're going to do during this series is we're going to identify a couple of verses that we uh, might pull those out and, and focus on those. We'll identify them. So if, if, you're the, uh, if you're feeling compelled to, that you would then be able to memorize those verses. Of course, whenever we study verses, we want to make sure we study them and get to know what they mean in their context. That we don't just want to take a verse and let it mean whatever we want it to mean, but that we would know what the author intended when it was first written. And so we'll do the same today. But the verses we're pulling out uh, that are of note uh, are verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5. And they go like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now let's read that text in its larger context. So let's begin at verse 13. And I know that this is uh, uh, three verses before the break in the ESV translation, but a good argument can be made that really the context of our passage begins in verse 13. Let us hear the word of God. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God bless our time together as well. Well, maybe to understand our passage, and it's always good to understand the uh, larger historical context in which it is written. It turns out that in the Galatian church that there are these converts to Christianity who came from outside the Jewish faith. They, uh, we've, we know that in uh, Galatians 4, 8, that they're identified as people who were, were serving other gods, that, that there was, they did not know who the real God was. And so they came to know Jesus Christ and the grace in Jesus Christ. And then there were these teachers that worked their way into their midst, uh, these folks that said, you know, in order to really follow well, you're going to have to abide by Torah. You're, you're going to have to abide by uh, the instruction of the law. Specifically, you're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to identify yourself according to the law of God given through Moses. And so Paul would have none of that. He hears wind of it, and he knows the gospel. He knows the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is freedom. In fact, we find in verse 1 of chapter 5, we find the words, For freedom, Christ has set us free. We find the words in verse 13, For you were called to freedom. In other writings of Paul's, we know that this is freedom from sin, freedom from the law. That it's not a a freedom that gives us opportunity for the flesh. What do we mean? What does Paul mean by the word flesh? In his commentary, David De Silva puts it this way. Flesh, as used by Paul, is the sum total of the impulses, urges, and desires that lead human beings away from virtue and towards self-promotion and self-gratification. In other words, the very thing that was present in that story at the first book of the Bible, where that first couple, and God established a a rule for them that do not eat of the fruit of the uh, the tree of knowledge uh, uh, of good and evil. Do not eat of this tree. And instead, instead of going toward virtue, they, they they went their own way. They prioritized their way above God's way. And we've all inherited this, this flesh that, that these are the total, given the era in which we live, this time between that first fall and the, and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ at the final day, that, that in this time, the total uh, gathering of those impulses and urges, that instead of going toward virtue, they go toward self-promotion and self-gratification. What we learn from Paul is that there's a freedom that's being offered to us It's a freedom that through love we get to serve one another. In other words, what Paul does for us is he essentially describes three different situations, 
three different situations. And so there's one situation we possibly could find ourselves in, and that's where there is no law. That there's no law, there's no understanding of, of the law of God, and, and, and that the people that he's writing to, once we're in that place, there's no law. The, the second situation is that there's a law that's been given. We know that in what we call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, that God very much said, here's my law for you. Live by these things. The law was a, a tool that revealed the righteousness of God. And then that third situation is freedom from the law. So no law, law, freedom from the law. Here's what we get to do under those three situations. If there's no law, well, we get to do whatever we want. If there's a law, then what we get to do is to live by the code, that, that we know this code and we have to follow this code. We have to live according to the standards of that code. That is what is required of us. Under the freedom from the law, under that situation, from Paul's writings, we come to understand that we get to walk by the Spirit. That God gives his spirit, that through Jesus Christ, made free from the law, that he gives us his own spirit, the, the one spirit of God, one God, three persons, a singularity, a community within that singularity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that because we have said yes to Jesus Christ, that God's spirit comes to live in us and to come live in us. In the situation with no law, then that means I must live by my expectations. I become a law unto myself. Under the law, I must live by God's expectations. And under freedom from the law, I must live with God. It's a relationship. It's community. Under the situation of no law, we've discovered that our motivations are self-gratifying desires, self-promoting desires. The motivations under the law tend to be, as we look at history and how this works out, our shame and pride. Pride when we, we live according to the code and, and we can puff ourselves up and, and feel like we're the ones who are doing things right and shame whenever we fail against the law. The motivations under freedom of the law are the freedom that we have and the power to overcome because it's not our power. It's God's Spirit living in us and among us together. The situations result in this. With no law, it results in chaos. With a law, it results in pseudo-order, a pretend order. We may have an order among our tribe, and we may, we may feel like we're doing it, but then someone else comes along, and, and they're doing it a different way, and, and it's a pseudo-order. And because we can't fulfill all the law, it really is failure. Under the freedom from the law situation, it results in transformation, forming, conforming, transforming us into the image of Christ. Ultimately, no law means destruction. Law means ineffective in failure. And freedom from the law means life-giving. It results in a life-giving relationship. It's kind of like what Paul does is he, he provides for us a mall directory right? You, you walk into the mall and you're lost. If it's a new mall, you don't know where to go. You go to that kiosk and you find on the mall directory that, that there's a whole wing called law. And Paul says, here's what happens if you live under law. There's a whole wing called no law. Here's what happens if you live in this area. And then there's this freedom from the law. And this is what life is like there. He goes on to describe how freedom, how this freedom works. 
He provides us two lists. He provides us a list of works of the flesh, and he puts it this way. He describes them as we read before, that um, uh, he provides the long list, but at the end of it he says, um, uh, um, let me find it here. He goes, uh, and things like these. In other words, even all the things that we read through that first time, it's not an entire list, that it's things like these. And do you notice what they do? The things under the list of works of the flesh, they actually push us away from each other. They're perversions of community. They're, they work against, they're toxic toward togetherness and community. And up against this, that, that we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says after that, and such things. Like, this is not a complete list either, but the, there are these works that the Spirit is doing and will do in your midst. Now, there are other places where Paul writes, hey, you should work on these things. These are the things that you're instructed to do. You should love others. You should care for others. You, you, you should uh, rejoice always. Choices we get to make. But in this text, what Paul says, this is the work of the Spirit bringing these things about in us. One set brings destruction. The other set brings building, community, connection. We're told in verse 17 that they're in opposition. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. They're at odds with each other. As one, I believe someone else has written before, we wouldn't consider this a stalemate, though. You know, we might think of those, how would we ever overcome this list? It's so ingrained in us. We find ourselves, even in our best days, when we have no intent to harm somebody, when we confess our love from somebody, we still have this way of having strife and enmity, perversion of the relationship. It seems to come out of us. Are we only to despair, to be lost to the works of the flesh? And what Paul points out is that that with the power of the Spirit, that the Spirit overcomes, the Spirit wins, the, the Spirit has more power to work the things of God in our lives. All right, so let's hit the pause button here. Let's ask, do you want this? Do, do you desire these things in your life? Are, are, are we passionate about love, about having joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and things such as these. When I, uh, I was growing up, I um, uh, had a little bit of time where I went into the Boy Scouts. And, and because of this story, you might come to understand why I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the Boy Scouts. And I know a lot of people have had positive experiences. Went to my first jamboree, my first jamboree on a, on a camp out. And uh, uh, there was a little bit of hazing that went on, just a little bit of hazing. So they turned to us newbies and they said, newbies, we forgot our left-handed smoke shifter. Would you go look for a left-handed smoke shifter? Go ask all the other scout troops. And then they followed that up with, um, by the way, we also forgot 50 
uh, yards of uh, shoreline. So could you pick up 50 yards of shoreline for us? Well, you know, and we chuckled. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. You know, and as, as that newbie, I wanted, to, I wanted to fulfill this thing that, that, uh, um, that the people were asking of me. And so, as I went around, and because as scouts, we were not always great thespians, you could tell pretty soon that we were being had a little bit. Um, and again, I know that there's so many great scout troops. My dad was the Eagle Scout, and we have Eagle Scouts in this congregation. Just a great adventure for so many. In this situation, it provides an example of what culture does to us. Culture sends us looking for things, convincing us that they are important to find and necessary for a good life. And yet they're fundamentally misguided. Culture sends us after things thinking they are absolutely important. When God offers an alternative that we would be able to seek love and joy and peace and patience and in fact having these things worked in us so what's the key to the how? Let's say we actually do want this. Let's say we actually want these things in our life. Here's the key to the how. We walk by the Spirit. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 25 tells it twice. Uh, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit, we live with the Spirit, or live by the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we come alongside the Spirit. This is how we're to live. In uh, James Bryan Smith's uh, book, he provides this illustration. In fact, Joss had it up on the screen last week when she was describing our faith formation process. And the little diagram that he provides has a triangle. And in this triangle is the Holy Spirit. And that, uh, that there are at least three ways that we can uh, um, consciously choose to live by, to, to, to uh, walk with, to uh, keep in step with the Spirit. Things that we can do that align us with, that put us in community, that allow ourselves to be conscious, to be available for the Spirit, for the Spirit to bring God's fruit about in our lives. One of them, the one at the top, is adopting the narratives of Jesus. Adopting the narratives of Jesus. By the way, this isn't just the stories that Jesus told this isn't just the teachings that Jesus provided. It is those things. This is not just the stories from Jesus' life, the example he gave. This, these are the narratives, the, the narrative of Jesus from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, from the beginning of time to the end of time, that we would adopt those. We, we would spend time in Scripture. We would come together and, and learn together like this. We would be in Bible studies and life groups, and we would be in our devotional life, and we would learn it that we would adopt those stories as definitive in our life, trusting that the Spirit, as we come alongside those words, that the Spirit of God is using those words to transform us more into the image of Jesus, to shift our character, doing the work that we could not do on our own. If you look at that box over in the left-hand corner, it talks about engaging in soul training exercises. These have been called other things throughout time. They can be uh, spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises, but we see them in Scripture, pray and fast, we know that Jesus would pull himself away from people. He would, he would uh, um, go and spend time alone. That in that time, there wouldn't be all the demands, all the voices of the rest of the culture, and he would be alone with God. 
And so we have these soul training exercises. And in these times, we simply say, we put ourselves, we say, we say that we're not going to be hurried. We're not going to have the rest of the culture screaming in our ear in this moment. We simply want to be. And whatever God wants to reveal through his spirit in our life during that time, whatever he wants to encourage in us or, or transform in us in that moment that we trust that the Holy Spirit will work. A third area that we turn to is participating in community. That we would reach out to each other. Yes, we get to enjoy the, the kind of conversations where we're talking about the, uh, the games of the past week or uh, our travel plans for the coming week. And those are fine and good conversations. But we also dip below that line of meaning into the depth of conversation. And we find that in community we can say stuff like, um, uh, how's your soul? Gosh, uh, are, are you feeling hopeful this week? Has despair crept in? What can I be praying for you as, as you minister in the name of Christ this week? Are there things that I can carry with me? And by the way, here are things that I would ask you to carry with you. And in that community, the, the voice of the Spirit working in each person would then be able to speak. And maybe, maybe, maybe. It could be that we've grown up in an experience where we spent a lot of time talking about God the Father. We spent a lot of time talking about God the Son. And we don't know about this God the Spirit that, that it, it, it seems to be this, this thing that we just don't know, a distant cousin. But for Paul, the Spirit was real. He knew the Spirit as, as uh, um, uh, God with him. That this one God, this singular God, known as Father, Son, and Spirit, that in this one God, that there's this community, Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one God, one essence, and that the Spirit is actually there working and moving in accomplishing. So what are you seeking? What are we seeking together? I got to tell you, this question struck me deeply this past week. I've read this book before. I've taught this passage before. Uh, I give praise to the Holy Spirit that this past week it struck me, uh, it struck me deeply. There's a book also by James K.A. Smith called um, You Are What You Love. He makes a statement, you are what you love because you live toward what you want. You are what you love because you live toward what you want. And that line, together with the other things that I was reading in Scripture and in James Bryan Smith's book, God used that to convict and, and, and to work in me. You know, there's this little thing that um, in, in Acts cha- chapter 26, Paul is talking to Agrippa. So the Apostle Paul is talking to Agrippa, and he gives a defense of his faith. And he tells him the story of how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. The risen, ascended Jesus comes and manifests himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. And this is what uh, Paul tells Agrippa. This is what Jesus said to him. Saul, Saul, that's what Paul was known before his name changed. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. To kick against the goads. I think we've talked about this before. A goad was a farming tool, a stick that had a, a little pointy thing at the end of it. And, and a small person could guide a large ox by using a, a goad and, and could hit the back of, uh, of the oxen um, and the ox would then turn or move or do as the, as the guide uh, asked. But the ox would kick against it to the oxen's own detriment. It caused pain. It was uncomfortable. It didn't change the matter. 
It didn't change the, the, what was going to have to happen. And, and so Jesus says to Paul, why? It's hard for you. It's hard for you. You're kicking against the goads. And think about my own life and how many times I've kicked against the goads of God, only harming myself. I am so grateful for all that God has already accomplished in me. But I was convicted this past week. In the time that I have left, between now and the day that my life on this earth comes to an end, I found myself, and I hope this doesn't sound trite, I found myself longing to be defined by God's love. I want the joy that the Spirit can bring about. In fact, I, I wrote words down like this. I, I want love to grow. I want joy to be more pervasive and all-consuming. I want peace to be weighty and influential in my life. I want patience to be truer and longer lasting. I want kindness to spill over with abundance. I want gentleness to overtake its opposites that still linger in me. And I want self-control to replace the try-and-fail approach to living obediently. In other words, I really want more of the Spirit's fruit. Not because I want to win a merit badge. Not because I want more people to have nicer things to say about me when I die. But because these are the things God wants for me. These are the things that God is committed to working in me. These are the virtues that were part and parcel of Jesus' own character. This is what God wants for me, for us, and for all of his children. And so this fall, as we do this study, I am looking forward. I'm looking forward to revisiting those narratives of Jesus. I, 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 want, I want to adopt them even more than I have in the past. I want, I want them to describe life for me. I want to rearrange some patterns in order to practice soul training. I want to reach out to others, others who are would-be fruit baskets, to be encouraged and guided through the Spirit working through them. I hope you are too. I hope you want these things. I hope that what we truly desire, what we're most passionate about, but become the very things that God desires, God is passionate about. And that through his spirit, we would choose to reorganize our lives. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who loves, that you gave your son that we would have life in him. Would you keep working in our midst for the one, of, the one person in this room who feels the farthest away from you? Would you show yourself? Would you reveal yourself? Would you give even just an inkling of sense of assurance that they would know that they are loved and captured by you and given freedom through Jesus Christ and they would embrace that freedom and they would know that the Spirit lives in them and that you are working things in their lives to your own glory that the best life they would ever have is what you are committed to giving them. God, we're, th we're thankful that you're a God who, who keeps his promises. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.